A sower went out to sow. A sower is a farmer, a planter, who plants by scattering seeds. A sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds. Some seeds fell along the path, trampled ground, hard ground, and birds came and snatched it up, ate it all. Some other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much depth, so it grew up quickly, but because the roots didn't have much depth, the plants withered in the hot sun and died. Some other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up along with the plants, and the thorns choked out the plant, and it died. But some seed fell on good soil and sprang up healthy to produce a yield of 30-fold or 60-fold or even 100-fold. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, what does this story mean? Well, we're going to find out today and several other stories. Some of you already know. Some of you may have an idea what this story means. I pray that by the end of today, we'll all know this very well and understand how it is extremely relevant to our lives today. We continue in the book of Matthew today. Open to chapter 13 if you haven't already. And if you didn't get sermon notes or the bulletin, raise your hand. Chris is always happy to put one in your hand. Those help you follow along, so just raise your hand and he'll get you that pen and sermon notes. We pointed out last week, if you were around, that we are in the midst of a section in Matthew from chapters 11 through 16 called the rejection chapters, the rejection of King Jesus. He proved himself the Messiah, the Christ, God with authority over everything, and now in his ministry, as he's proclaiming truths, a lot of people are receiving him and a lot of people are rejecting him, and that rejection has resulted in battles like we had last week, many battles between truth and lies, right and wrong, hard-heartedness and humbled-heartedness. And through those battles, though, it allows King Jesus to proclaim a lot of good truths that we need to know, that we need to be aware of and consider. Last week in chapter 12, Jesus taught us how to fight life's battles with his power and his wisdom. Well, this week, as we enter chapter 13, Jesus turns to another one of his weapons, stories. Stories that we call parables. That's the kind of story that they are. And there are eight parables in chapter 13 that we're going to go through today. Eight parables that, through which Jesus teaches us our place in history, our place in his kingdom, Lord willing, how to go through our, our lives more faithfully following him. So I have framed our study of, of this storytelling chapter using three questions that you'll see on the screen or have in your notes. These stories confused a lot of people when Jesus first told them 2,000 years ago, but I think answering these three questions today together, we won't be confused by them anymore, and you'll be able to decide for yourself whether to receive these and receive Jesus or to reject him and his words. Let's begin with our first question. What are parables, and why did Jesus use them? Parable isn't a word we use every day, so let's just make sure we understand what it is. It's very simple to understand. A parable is a type of story. It is a short story 
that's told to illustrate or teach one main point. Not a bunch of points. Don't get lost in the details of the story. It's a short story told to illustrate, to make one main point. When Jesus teaches in parables, he's, he's making deep spiritual points and teach, teaching important spiritual matter, matters. He's not oh, unwrapping a fortune cookie that's got just meaninglessness. They're always disappointing, aren't they? Those fortune cookies. And chicken soup for the soul, you know, that feel-good stuff. That's not what Jesus is using parables for. He's teaching deep spiritual truths that we need to know. He's opening heaven's window into the greatest treasures of wisdom and knowledge for us. Make all the difference in our lives. That makes these stories of the most important kind. Now, why did Jesus use them? Why not just skip the stories and tell us, you know, what, what the meaning is? Well, the disciples asked the same thing. Why do you speak to us in parables? So let's look at his answer, right? Turn with me in uh, chapter 13 to verse 10. Note that Jesus has two audiences in mind. He's he's going to identify two different audiences that are listening to him. And we probably have these two different types of people here today, believers in Jesus and rejectors of Jesus. So let's listen how he addresses both of those audiences. Starting in verse 10, then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered, to you it has been given, that's to his disciples, his followers, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them that has not been given. For to one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That's the person who is rejecting Jesus, hardening their hearts. Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Verse 14, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, and indeed, for hundreds of years, prophecy said when the Messiah comes, some people will receive him, some people will reject him. Here's what it says about those who reject him. This is a prophecy that Jesus was fulfilling. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and that still applies to us today, and they did not see it, and to hear what we hear, and did not hear it. Yes, Jesus' parables speak to these two different audiences, those who are ready to receive and grow in Christ, and those who are hardening their hearts. They say, The parables of Jesus reveal truth to those who believe in his mystery, and they conceal truth from those who deny the obvious. And we see this exact same thing in our world today. Jesus' beautiful gospel continues to captivate millions of people all around the world and set us free from the bondage of sin and and lostness and, and the curse of God's condemnation for our sin. All over the world, it drives us to passionate worship and a desire to change the world and follow Christ. While at the same time, that same message to other people in the world disgusts or angers or bores them. 
as they deny the obvious truths around us. So Jesus' parables do this. They reveal and conceal his glorious truths. Remember, these are stories to teach one important spiritual point, and so as we go through all eight of them, we're going to get a lot of truth from Jesus today. What we want to discover is the point that Jesus is teaching, and I'm going to tell you that all of them today in chapter 13 are about the same main topic, that is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is teaching us about today, the kingdom of heaven. Then we're going to apply that truth to our lives, Lord willing, with our whole entire self. I pray his word changes you and guides you today. So Jesus tells eight parables in chapter 13. They're all about the kingdom of heaven, which leads to question number two. What is the kingdom of heaven? The phrase kingdom of heaven is used 32 times in chapter 13. That's a lot. So that is the focal point of chapter 13. What is the kingdom of heaven that is such significantly valuable to Jesus and to us? The kingdom of heaven here is, if you're writing notes, the rule and reign of King Jesus over everything. This world is his, and the kingdom of heaven is his rule and reign over everything. He is the creator of everything. He is the king of everything. Every planet, every time, every person, every society or group of person, every emotion that we have, every decision that we make, every space, including physical space, mental space, spiritual space, all of it is under King Jesus' reign and rule. That is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus' reign is redemptive. That means over time he is bringing all things, he's redeeming all things and all this, everything to himself and to his glory. There is a sense in which God's kingdom is already here. He brought it with him. It has begun. And it is growing, and we're a part of it. And there's also a sense that it's not completed yet, as of right now. Not all things are under his complete rule. That will be a glorious day when Jesus rules and reigns over every space of the universe, when King Jesus is the only ruler out there. You know why? Part of that is because there will be no more elections. Just King Jesus. And that part of his kingdom is coming, and it's growing, and we're a part of that. Now, Matthew's primary point in this chapter is King Jesus' redemptive calling of just one thing, that is us, of us sinners. How Jesus is calling us to be a part of the kingdom of heaven through, his, through faith in his death and resurrection, to bring us who believe into his kingdom and so that's the main focus of these parables. Now with that in mind, the parables of Matthew 13 are going to make a whole lot more sense for us today. They give us a picture of Jesus' kingdom that both defies human reasoning and hardens hearts, but also for those who believe and receive, thrills us that we can be a part of it. And so question number three, what is your place in Jesus' kingdom stories? What is your place in these stories that Jesus tells today. Again, these are about a kingdom that Jesus has invited us to, into, and we can either reject 
or enter. As we go through the eight, I've divided them, as you see on your notes, if you're looking at those. Some are telling the same basic point, so we've grouped them together. But let's start with the parable of the sower. This one's really significant, and I ask that you listen closely. We've already told the story, the first nine verses. It's how chapter 13 began. And now as we come to verse 18, if, you're op- if you have your Bibles open, at the request of the disciples, Jesus, tell us what this means. And so Jesus is going to explain it. Right off the bat, I'll give you the four primary characters, just so we're tracking. The sower is Jesus himself. He's the one scattering the seeds. What are the seeds? They're the word of God, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. All the truth that he's saying. The birds are, the bird is the evil one. And the soil is all the people in the world who are presented with the gospel. That's us, humans. And the soil is the key variable in the story. The soil is what changes over the four types. The soil, a hearer of Jesus' gospel can do one of four things with biblical truth. Let's look at Jesus' description, starting in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. The first soil. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, does not understand it, the evil one comes, that's the, the hard trampled path, the evil one comes, represented by the birds, and snatches away what has been sown in his heart, and this is what was sown along the path. So the first thing that someone can do, a hearer of the word of God proclaimed can do is just be hard and it doesn't even make an impact. It doesn't sink in at all. It's a full-on rejection. Scoffers or or whatever, just apathetic. They're just not even going to listen. Has this been you? Maybe it was at one time, but you have an amazing testimony of how God broke through. I love hearing those testimonies. I've heard some of yours. Is it you right now, though? Like, I don't even want to be here, and I'm not listening. With that hard heart, it's easy, easy for, I mean, this great truth to be proclaimed, but the enemy to come and snatch it away. I pray that you're softening today, though. That's a work of the Holy Spirit, and we have prayed for you. Let's continue. The second soil has these, this rocky ground and these thorns. Let's see what Jesus says, verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures it for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. Hmm. This happens a lot. The second thing that hearers can do with biblical truth is immediately get really, really excited about it, and they seem to accept it. And sometimes that person seems like the most emotional worshipers or the strongest spiritual champions. But when they face opposition, persecution, suffering, the true heart comes out and they fall away, Jesus says. This is happening a lot in our society right now. A lot over the last several years, and I want to give you a little insight on why that is. Most of us are aware of of the numbers of Christians and the numbers of church attenders have decreased significantly since the turn of the century, the 21st century, the 2000s. 
in the 20th century, and here's, here's part of the, a big part of the reason of why that is. In the 20th century in America, in our culture, it was advantageous to be, and it was a social norm to be part of a church. It was advantageous to your business and your place in society. It was enjoyable to be a part of, it's kind of what everybody did. It was, it's the, 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 the root of the history of our nation's culture. But something changed at the turn of the century into the 2000s. And church researchers show that 2012 was the biggest year, biggest single year, for two different things. 2012 saw the biggest increase in the rejection against Christianity. You know, Christians didn't have a seat at the table, the cultural table anymore. The biggest increase in that and the persecution against Christianity, both legally and socially, that was a big turning point. It all of a sudden became uncomfortable to be a Christian. That was the first thing 2012 saw the biggest spike of. And the second thing then consequently was 2012 saw the biggest decline in church attendance and numbers of people claiming to be Christians. And national surveys of religious affiliation, it's called the rise of the nuns. More people were choosing none, no religious affiliation at all. And we measure all these things. That's when the biggest swing happened. Bigger persecution, legally and socially. Bigger people just walking away. Now, this isn't fun anymore. It shows the true soil of their heart. Is this you? You were at one time really excited about Christianity and Jesus. You loved the high of worship and, and being a part of something bigger than yourselves, but... When tribulations, persecution, teasing, sacrifice came, you said, this isn't worth it. I'm moving on. Friends, Jesus said you were never truly saved, but that you can be today. You can make sure that you are today. The third soil is similar. Verse 22, we have the thorns. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and proves it unfruitful. The third thing that hearers of the word can do is, with biblical truth, is seem to accept it at first. But then over time, it's not the persecutions that distract them, it's the temptations of the world. The deceitfulness of riches, of being wealthy, of being my own boss, the comforts, the desires to sin, basically. Say, yeah, Jesus is asking me to do things that I don't want to do. The gospel, this is a different gospel. And it's very common these days. It's a very self-centered gospel where you created Jesus in your own image. There's a lot of that going on. There's a country singer, Charlie Rich, that sang a song, Jesus loves me, yes I know, so I'll keep rolling with the flow. While other guys are raising kids, I'll keep raising hell just like I did. And that's the kind of gospel that a lot of people have believed. I don't have to change. I got this other Jesus. One that says that we can do whatever our hearts want. Our hearts are deceitful. There's a lot of people who say that they believe in Jesus, but they don't like the message that he has. When you actually start opening the word and reading it, Jesus says, acknowledge that we are sinners. Be sorry for your sin. Acknowledge it. Work on changing it. Repent of it, which means changing it, turning away from it. 
kill, killing it, mortifying the flesh, the sin, and, and being sorry for it, repenting, humbling ourselves and coming to the cross where Jesus died for that sin and receiving his salvation and his kingship over our lives. We're not the boss anymore. When we realize that, I don't want that. You're the third type of soil. Don't want to hear all that stuff about the biblical definitions of marriage and gender or not living a life of fornication that I want to or not getting divorced or not rebelling against my parents or not getting intoxicated, fearing God. All those things. Eventually, it's too much. I, I don't want to choose Jesus over any of that stuff. And eventually, those desires of the heart and the flesh, the flesh is strong, they win out. The second and third seed, people seem to be Christians and then fall away when either persecution or desires to sin come over, and they leave the faith, and that's what the Bible calls, and we call today, and even they themselves call themselves apostate, apostasy. That's the second and third seed. And Jesus is giving a strong warning to anyone who, as you examine your own faith and the hardness or humility of your own heart and who King Jesus, who Jesus is to you, be sure, be sure to examine your faith to see if it's really real. Then he tells the story of the fourth seed. And I want to say in that second and third seed, there's a story of, of there's an atheist that tells his story right now. His name is Dan, and he says he was a pastor for 19 years until he saw the light and became an atheist. And to Dan, we say, hey, Dan, Judas faked his faith for three and a half years. You faked your faith for 19 years. And then your true faith, your true heart came out. Jesus says here that your faith was never real. I just don't want, I don't want that to happen to anybody in here. So examine your faith. Is it really real? Not your parents' faith, not the whatever. Real faith. Then Jesus says, but some of the seed falls on good soil. And here's what happens. Verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it and receives it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. I'll explain what that means. Those of the good soil not only hear the word, but they understand it. The lights go on, and then they're faced with the decision, do I make this my own? Do I make Jesus my king or not? And they say yes. They know what they need to do. They need to repent. They need to receive Jesus. And they come alive spiritually, filled with the Holy Spirit. They take what is sown in them then and bear true fruit, which is true worship to God in spirit and truth. And then they can't help but share the good news of the kingdom and serve Jesus and build up his church and change the community. And he's given us different capacities, and that's okay. Some of us are 30 capacities, some of us are 60, some of us are 100 or any kind of anywhere in between. I kind of wonder, where am I on this anyway? I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what I think. But we all just need to shine at the level that he gave us the capacity for. That's what we're responsible for. Now notice, sadly, that three-quarters of the results lead to hell. 
And that's consistent with what Jesus said. We say it's easy to be saved. Just ask Jesus into your heart. When Jesus says the opposite, go back to Matthew 7, 13 and 14, where he says, Strive, this is an agonizing word, to enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Oh, but it's glorious. Some of you may be ready to say, okay, I'm, I've, been on the, I've been on the broad road going through the big gate. And that's proved by the little willingness I have to sacrifice anything for Jesus. Test your faith. If you're ready to respond to Jesus today, look, it's hard to sacrifice the flesh and become alive spiritually, but it is glorious. Examine what do you really think about Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and calling for you to die to yourself and become alive in him and live. What do you think about that? There's Jesus' parable of the sower, and you can teach that to the world. Jesus is good to tell us his truth. Now, Jesus moves on, and so next we have the parable of the weeds and the net. These two I put next because they reinforce, they kind of follow this and develop it a little bit more. The weeds come in verses 24 through 40. The net comes a little bit later, but I'm combining these because they have similar points. So let's dive in here right now. Jesus isn't done with this. He's going to develop this. In the parable of the weeds, we have fruit-bearing plants sitting next to weeds. Let's see what happens. Verse 24, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Yeah, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came in and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then do we have all these weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and then bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn, into the kingdom of heaven. Since Jesus explains this parable six verses later, let's just see how Jesus explains it. Skip down to verse 36. The parable of the weeds explained. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, what I would say too, explained the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, the one who sows good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, all who believe and follow. And we're sons of the kingdom, by the way. That's pretty special. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them 
into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Here, he who has ears, let him hear. Good seeds simply humble themselves. There's nothing special about us. We've humbled ourselves and received King Jesus, the creator of it all, the king of it all. And we inherit a a forever place in his kingdom. The weeds are unbelievers who have not and will not repent and receive Jesus. We live side by side together right now. And as we worship the king, we have compassion, growing compassionate hearts, enough to overcome our timidity and fears to proclaim truth to everyone. Jesus speaks about heaven and hell a lot. Here's part of it. This eternal separation that he promises is going to be at the end of our time here on earth. Which kingdom will you enter? The kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of Jesus? The parable of the net makes pretty much the same point. Clearly, this is worth repeating. Verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathers fish of every kind. When it was full, men draw it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. And so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. Again, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yes, today you came to church for an encouraging word and you'll get one. But you've come to church and you've, and you've heard the, the most severe reality. John MacArthur describes this this way, the the dragnet of God's judgment moves silently through the sea of mankind and draws all men to the shores of eternity for final separation to their ultimate destiny, believers to eternal life and unbelievers to eternal damnation. Jesus is righteous, and as any righteous judge punishes sin and rejection of his law and himself. And his coming wrath is unimaginable, and we can't just ignore it. But he's given you the the escape. And you have to contrast the sinfulness of sin with the glory of grace. These are extreme contrasts. And he's presenting those to you today, and, and I pray that you'll Choose the right one and share and enjoy the glory of that choice. Now, two short parables follow this. And they teach about the greatness of the kingdom. The greatness of the kingdom. This is the supremely great kingdom that we're a part of. Parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. Okay, these parables work well together. So I'm combining them. The mustard seed illustrates how the kingdom expands outwardly in the, in the universe, and the leaven ex- explains how the kingdom of heaven explains internally, inside of us. So let's see how these two go together. Verse 31, he put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man 
took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the other garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. From the smallest to largest is the kingdom of heaven. Let's see how this kingdom of Jesus is growing. This mustard seed, the smallest of all known seeds that they used at the time, turns into the largest plant that they had in that region. This illustrates Jesus from a baby in Bethlehem, like a no-name town. Poverty. This baby expanding to heaven's throne over everything. And his kingdom from a few followers to billions of worshipers. That's what we're a part of. That's the mustard seed. Now the parable of the leaven shows the same thing going on inside of us. Notice how we're not perfect overnight? Yeah, there's a reason for that. But from faith like a child to permeating everything about our lives, verse 33, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. That's yeast. That's what makes bread rise. That a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. That's what yeast, that's what leaven does. It affects the entire batch. So Jesus is saying inside of us, that this is what's planted in us. And no, we're not perfect or mature overnight. It grows in us from our humble, saving faith. Even the faith of a child can enter the kingdom, but then we grow, we mature. And that happens to be the primary goal of our lives, to, to mature in Christ into enormous faith in Jesus and likeness of him and to bear fruit that Jesus has for us. Jesus, over time, eventually, Lord willing, as we grow, becomes everything to us, everything about who we are. Praise God, amen? That's what we want to be, and that's good. That's the only good way to be. So the kingdom of heaven is outside and inside. It's growing. We're part of it. Next, Jesus illustrates the value of his kingdom, the value with the parables of the treasure and the pearl. Just how important and valuable is Jesus' kingdom? It's more than anything in the world. First, it's worth losing everything else for. It's worth losing everything else for. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus continues, is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found, covered up, and then in his joy, I found this greatest treasure. goes and sells all that he has and buys the field, and he has it. Because the kingdom is worth losing everything for. And this is where Jesus calls us, brothers and sisters, to let go of everything else. Don't trade Jesus, knowing him, growing in him, for anything else that the world has to offer. David Platt is a, is a pastor, and he wrote this orange book called Radical. Many of you have probably read it. And in it, he says, he explains it so well. He said, Jesus doesn't literally demand everyone to sell all that they have right now and give it to the poor, but to be willing to. You're not holding on to anything, anything ever. So you're always mobilized to do whatever he calls you to do because his kingdom is by far the greatest treasure in your life. That's the way to live. 
In verses 45 and 46, he says, again, another little short parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And this just repeats that Jesus is the greatest treasure in the world, and he needs to be our treasure. That's how we worship him. That's how we know him. That's how we follow him, and that's how we tell other people about him, what he's done in your life. Don't trade it for anything else in the world. That just leads to ruin in this life and worse in the next. Following Jesus, you cannot go wrong, and you will never, never regret it. You'll never regret believing and following Jesus. Never regret it. Jesus tells one more parable, and I'm not going to skip this one. This is just an extra bonus parable to take with us something of great joy. The parable of the homeowner. First, Jesus makes sure that we're tracking with him. Verse 51, have you understood all these things? So I'm just going to ask you. You don't have to say it out loud. Have you been understanding all these things? I hope so. Well, they said to him that day, yes. If you answer yes like they did, Jesus concludes with a parable of a master of a house who brings out of his vault treasures, both old and and new. Let's see what he's talking about here. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like, uh, this is like, this is us, if we're, if we're growing in him. We're like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And here's what scholars say he's referring to. Christians, we have in our minds and in our hearts, we have a vault filled with age-old wisdom, as you've studied, as you've heard, as you've been discipled and mentored and taught, we're, we're, we're filled with this age-old wisdom and fresh new insights from the Holy Spirit, from what we've learned, from how we process it. And we have both of these to share with the world. We serve the world with the wisdom gained in, in the past from other people that we've learned and from lessons gained through our experiences. We sing old, truth-filled, old-time songs, trusted, time-tested songs, and we continue to write new songs that fit our present moment. And Tristan and his team do a great job at both, bringing, bringing us into both. That's just an exciting picture of who we are and what we have to bring to the world. We announce that Jesus died and rose again for us 2,000 years ago, and we proclaim the testimony of our lives, how that meets our present needs, our present longings, and our present lives. That's who we are in Christ and what we bring to the world. May we be faithful. Here are some next steps. The first, one more call to salvation. We've had a few today already. If today is the day that you say, okay, this has been me, this has been me, or this has been me, but I'm done with that, I believe you, Jesus. It's not about anything else but Jesus and what he's going to do in your life. Put your faith in him. And then see how he grows you 30, 60, 100 fold with your life toward him. Please, everybody who's believed, commit to following Jesus wholeheartedly. And a couple things that we're doing together as a church right now that I want to just invite, encourage, compel you all to be a part of. One is read Matthew again before Easter. Easter is very soon. Matthew is a sizable book. 
But this is a personal challenge. Read it again. I think at the beginning of the series, I challenge you to read it four, make a goal of reading Matthew four times over the next year. This would be a good goal. Read Matthew again before Easter, and as it closes with the resurrection before Easter, you will be pumped up. Let me pump, pump you up about some other things that we're doing. First of all, the invest and invite cards. Everything starts in prayer. So if you're sitting by the uh, ends of the aisles here in the middle, would you please take one of each of these? And you might as well, while you're at it, take a bundle of these. Once again, if you weren't here last week, uh, this is what we got turned in last week. And, and that's exciting. I went through them all, prayed over them generally. We're going to, at the concert of prayer next Sunday, uh, we're going to pray over all these individually. So just know, write the people, one or two or ten people on here who you want to pray for. And we're going to pray for those so, and then drop the big card off in the offering boxes on the walls after the service, and then keep the small copy for yourself. Write the same information on that as a reminder to pray for them every day. Invite them to church. God just opens doors when we pray. Just have eyes to see, ears to hear what he's going to do. And then these are just invitation cards. Leave them at, with every cashier, with every good tip at a restaurant. Never leave a track instead of a tip. It's not good, not good. Uh, big tips. Um, and just to spread these all over town. If people don't have a place to worship on Easter, we'd love for them to be here. Well, these are the things that we do as we, as we proclaim Jesus out of our true heart of being saved by him and worshipers of him. Let's commit all these things to pray. Lord, we do pray that you will solidify these, that our roots will grow stronger and the fruit will go, grow more productive in the world that our joy will be filled, and that our fellowship among, uh, each, uh, with each other among our church will be sweet, encouraging, and edifying. We come to you now and to close this service in a mighty way, thanking you in Jesus' name. Amen.